invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 13 is where we'll begin. When you find that, stand with me once again as we read from God's Word together this morning. James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that your word would penetrate our hearts. That you would plant it deeply within us that we might be changed as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the past couple of years, I have learned a great deal about Islam and about Muslims. And it continues to trouble me that so many people around the world, millions of people around the world, have been blinded by this false religion. They pray five times a day, hoping to please God. They fast for an entire month, wanting to honor their God. They, they give money to the poor in their neighborhoods. They confess the oneness of God and the importance of Muhammad. And their religion is infused in every aspect of their lives. Everything is influenced from their community to their family life from the way that they wash their hands to the way that they choose the kinds of foods that they will eat, uh, even the kinds of entertainment that they enjoy or the music they listen to, all of that is controlled by their, uh, their religion. And they do all of these different things hoping that in the end, God will be pleased with them, that God will forgive them, that God will give them eternal life. But their religion will only lead them to destruction. Because the religion is focused on a God who is no God at all. A God who cannot save. Now there's many things that we look at the religion of Islam and we say, this is hugely problematic. It's false. It's wrong. There are many things about it. But when we look at our Muslim neighbors, there are many things that we can learn from them. Things like hospitality. As Americans, even as Christians, one of our biggest blind spots is hospitality. When people come to our city from around the world, they notice that Americans, we keep to ourselves. We have our house, you have your house, you don't need to come to my house. If you come to my house, then I have to clean my house. There's no need for you to come to my house. Let's meet at a restaurant somewhere. We are not hospitable. But people in other places, 
specifically Muslims, are very hospitable. Something we can learn from them in that. How to be better friends. How to care intensely about one's family, about the things that are going on in their lives. If you've ever had a friend that was a Muslim, you know that is the first question that they will ask you. Every time I see my friend uh, down the street who is a Muslim from Pakistan, every time that I see him, he says, how are you? And I say, I'm doing well, how are you? And he says, how is your family? Now, is, that a, is that a real question? Yes. He really cares about my family. Real, really cares about my little girl. Always wants to see a picture. Something about being better friends. But if there was something in their spiritual life that I would say that we as Christians ought to emulate, if you were to say that, it would be their attitude toward the sovereignty of God. I can't tell you how many times when I was in Iraq 10 years ago, I had a friend whose name was Ali, and every time I would see him, we would, we would hang out together, we would drink chai together, tea together, we would talk, we would discuss a variety of different things. I would learn Arabic, he would learn English. And I would say to him at the end of our time together, I would say, well, I will see you tomorrow. And he would look at me, and with a smile, he would say, inshallah, if God wills it, if God wills it, I will see you tomorrow. See, he really, he really believed that his God was intimately involved in every detail of his life. Everything. But the reality is his God wasn't. It's only the God who has created everything from nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. It is only that God who has the rights over his creation. It's only the God who is, who is just and righteous, who, whose transcendence makes him completely different, other to us. It's only the God who is merciful and gracious, who sent his only son as a demonstration of his love, that he would die on a cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. It is only this God, only the God who grants us repentance, a God who gives to us grace upon grace, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He is the only God who can lay claim to our hearts, lay claim to our obedience. James here in this passage is talking about our attitude toward the sovereignty of God. James began in chapter 4, as we have seen, he, he begins talking about this war that is going on inside of us. We are warring against our flesh, and, in, and we are warring against God because of the passions of our flesh. But then he comes to this portion here, and he ends this chapter by talking about the will of God in our lives. These two themes are very related. When a believer is out of the will of God, disobeying God, he becomes a troublemaker and not a peacemaker. I think back at several lives that we see in Scripture. Lot, for instance, moved into Sodom and he brought trouble upon his family. David, he commits adultery and murder and he brings trouble on his family and his kingdom. Jonah disobeys God, goes the opposite direction, and he puts the lives of, of people in a boat at risk, and they almost die. In each case, there was a wrong attitude toward the sovereign will of God in their lives. And the truth is, God has a plan for each and every one of us. He has a plan for your life. He is sovereign over all things. He is all-knowing. He knows every minute detail about your life, and nothing in your life surprises Him. 
He knows exactly what is going to happen in our lives and when everything will occur. And because God is love, He desires the very best for you. He wants your good. But too many of us believe that doing what God wants us to do is like taking that bitter medicine. Think, well, in the end, it'll probably be good for us, but man, it really is going to stink trying to do it right now. No. Instead of looking at God's will, God's, God's plan for your life as though something that's going to be just drudgery until you get to eternity, God, God is seeking your best in all things. Instead of seeing it as this bitter medication, see it as the gracious evidence of a God who loves you, who wants the best for you. We think things like, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to do what God wants me to do because God wants me to do something I probably don't want to do. He may make me a missionary for heaven's sake. Send me off to some foreign country where they don't have McDonald's. There are no chicken nuggets. There is no Dr. Pepper. And everything is in this weird font. Why would I want to go there? He may ask me to give up my job. I like my job. He may ask me to stop doing the hobbies that I have come to love. I love going out into the woods. I love uh, doing this or this. He may ask me to give those things up. Because they interfere with discipleship in my life. They, they interfere with my commitment to His church. I kind of like doing the things that I like doing. Thank you very much, Lord. We have this incredible sense of independence, don't we? We have a whole declaration set aside for it. We want to be independent. We're Americans, for heaven's sakes. We're all about independence. It's, it's on the utmost priority in all of our lives. We want to be independent from other people. We don't want other people telling us what to do with our lives. We want to be independent from our government. We don't want our government telling us what we should do and how much we should pay for this or for that. And that desire for independence, it bleeds over into our spiritual lives as well. We don't want to be dependent upon anyone. We don't want it to be dependent upon God either. And so we want to make our own decisions. We want to be our own man. We want to be our own woman. We want to do what we want to do. We want to plan out our retirement. We want to use our vacation time for what we want to do. We want to go to Harry Potter world. We want to go to Disney world. We want to go to the lake. We want to go to the ocean. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do what we want to do with our own money. Who's God to tell us that we need to give toward the church and to the ministry of the gospel here at this church? We don't want to ask Him about the things that we want. We focus all of our efforts on making sure our children get the right education and the right job and not enough attention on whether or not they're believing in Christ and whether or not they're being discipled. Friends, God is not silent when it comes to his will in your life. God has a plan for each and every one of his children. And it is foolish for us to go through life thinking that we can be somehow independent of what God, his sovereign hand, is accomplishing. So as we look together at this passage in James chapter 4, we'll see several aspects of life. 
The complexity of life, the uncertainty of life, the brevity of life, the fragility of life, and how all of these realities should point us back to a loving Father. Not just a Father, but a sovereign God. So let's look at the first of these. Life is complex. Look what he says. He says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. I think it's hilarious that James says such and such. But anyway, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, it's possible that James is is writing here to these wealthy merchants that are at the church. They're they're gathered here in the assembly. And and they might have discussed their business deals and boasted about their plans that they were going to go to such and such a city or in such and such a city. And they were going to make a profit. They were going to do all these different things. And they really hadn't considered what God wanted. They weren't praying about it. They weren't doing what they should have been doing. And they measured success in this life by how many times they got to do the things that they wanted to do. How much they had accomplished and how much they had planned. Now think of all that is involved in life. Think of all that is involved in your life. Every single one of us, we are different. We have different things happening. We have today. A few more hours in today. We have tomorrow. We have buying things. We we sell things. We... We gain things, we lose things, we're going to this place or to this place, we're going there and here, reading a book, watching a television show, going to this class, clocking in, clocking out, preparing for a presentation, helping a friend do something that they need. Life is filled with complexity. There are so many things happening in our lives. Life is made up of people and places, activities, goals, days, years. And each of us must make crucial decisions every single day. Every day is complex. Filled with so many choices, so many decisions. And how often is it that we try to, we try to walk through the complexities of life without ever really thinking about what God thinks about? Without ever really considering what it is that God wants us to do? What is God's will? And apart from the will of God, life is a mystery. Lacks purpose, lacks definition. Without God, what's the point of all of it? You realize that in a hundred years, all of us, for the most part, probably will be gone. In 200 years, no one will remember most of our names. Unless you have a genealogy tree somewhere, probably. Maybe in a Bible. Ancestry.com might help us out with that. But nobody's going to remember us. We're not the Albert Einsteins of our age. It's okay. We're not the big names that people will remember. None of us have written the book that is going to be, you know, still on the New York Times if it exists in 200 years. What's the point if it's all going to go away? Why do we go here and we go there? Why, why do we buy these things that we think we need? Why, why, do we, why do we read and why do we study? Why do we get up and we speak? Well, friends, when you know Jesus Christ is Savior, when you have a relationship with God, when you see beyond this life and you have a perspective that stretches out into the next trillion years instead of the next 70 years, friends, it gives you purpose. 
and a reason for living, the complexities of life begin to make sense. Because then everything that you're doing, God is using in your life to shape you, to mold you, to press you into the image of Christ so that one day in eternity, a hundred thousand years from now, you will be reigning with Him in His kingdom. That's why. Life is complex. Paul reminds us that in all of these small things, no matter what's happening, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You have, you have this from God. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Friends, life is complex. So whether it's your finances or your hobbies, your sex life, your diet, your love of sports, remember that your body is a temple of God. If you've trusted in Christ and He has saved you from your sins, you are not your own. You've been purchased. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so every aspect of your life, no matter the complexity, you need to see it through the lens of God's will. Life is complex, but life is also uncertain. Look what he says next. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? He says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He's borrowing from Proverbs 27.1 where, where Solomon says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Don't boast about what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. These people, they're making plans for the next year. He said, you can't even see what's going to happen tomorrow. How in the world are you going to plan out for the next year the things that you're going to do? See how confident they were. They say, we will go. We will stay a year. We will buy and sell and make a profit. We do that too, don't we? I mean, if I were to show you my iPad, I have a calendar on there that stretches way out into next year things that need to happen, things that are going on, things that I'm committed to. We do it too. We plan out our calendar. We plan out what's going to happen just around the corner. Thanksgiving. All of us have probably got plans, right? Christmas. We've got plans. We're going to see people. People are coming to see us. We've got things happening on our calendar. Does he mean then that we should, we should just live spontaneously? That would drive my wife nuts. Just live and let live. Just do whatever you want. Do whatever you, you have to do for the day. Just live spontaneously. Don't plan things out. Just live by the seat of your pants. Do whatever you want to do. Is that what he's saying? No. That's not what James is saying. He's saying that in every aspect of the planning process, looking out at your life, we need to recognize that life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. We may not be here next week. We may not be here next month. We may not be here next year. We have no idea what the future holds. It would not surprise me at all as a pastor if next year at this time we were to gather this body back together and I would have done one funeral for one person who's in here. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next year. We ought not act as though life is certain. 
Instead, we should entrust ourselves to the only one in the universe who is certain, and that is God. The attitude reminds me of a farmer that Jesus tells us about in Luke chapter 12. It's a parable. He says that the land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, well, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. So this man, he has a bumper crop. He's got so much stuff that he can't even, he can't even put it all in his barns. And so he has to, he has to build bigger barns so that he can take care of his future. Then he says, and I will say to my soul, soul? <laughs> you ever do that? I mean, he will say to his soul, soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And what was God's reply to this man's boasting? God said to him, you're a fool. The night, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not Rich toward God. Friends, life is uncertain. But life is not uncertain to God. Only to us. Only when we see that he alone is the one in whom we can place our confidence will we be able to live submissively under the sovereign hand of God. We know that whatever happens, God is there. And if I just think about today, what we've been focusing on. Do you think we have to tell the Christians living in Syria or China that life is uncertain? No. We have to tell ourselves that, don't we? But even in those times, did you hear in the video, the, the, the lady says that even in those times, she's telling her kids that even when it looks bad, even when it looks like somebody's going to try and take our lives, God is sovereign. God is bigger than all of these threats. The Apostle Paul says to believers in Christ, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He says, no, no. In all of these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates you from God. There is not one thing that is happening in your life, whether it's the loss of a family member, whether it's the job that's been ripped away from you, whether it's your finances and you're about to lose your house, whether it's your friend that's betrayed you, whatever it is, nothing can separate you from the love of God. God doesn't leave you when things get rough. He draws closer than a brother. Life is complex. Life is uncertain, but life is also very brief. Look what he says next. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
This is one of those repeated themes throughout Scripture. To us, life seems really long. To a child, I remember, life seemed like it was never going to get going. It seemed like it was always, you know, I was waiting for my 13th birthday, and then I was waiting for my 16th, and I'd get a car, and then I was waiting for my 17th. And I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait. Wait, now I'm waiting for my 34th birthday. What happened? What happened? It's all going quicker. Now, I think that's what happens as you get older. Some of you might be able to testify to that. As you get older, it seems like the years, they seem to go faster and faster. And now I'm looking back at 2014 and scratching my head like, what happened? It was just like February yesterday. And now it's like November. Life goes quick. We measure it in years, but in comparison to eternity, Scripture says that life is like a vapor. James is borrowing language from places like the book of Job. You find Job talking like this. He says, my days are, are swifter than a, a weaver's shuttle. A weaver's shuttle, it's just a piece of, or a tool that holds the thread that runs back and forth across the, the loom. He says, it's fast. He says, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone as the cloud fades and vanishes. Job 8, 9, he says, our days upon the earth are a shadow. Job 9, 25, my days are swifter than a post. Not like a wooden post, but like mail carrier kind of post. My days, he says in Job 9, my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on its prey. That's how fast life goes. Like an eagle swooping down and grabbing in the water, pulling out that fish. We count our years at each birthday. But God says, don't count the years. Count the days. Focus on the days. Imagine if we focused on the days instead of the years. How would your life look different? If you woke up in the morning and you weren't thinking, well, this week I need to accomplish this, or, man, this year I really wanted to read this many books. If you focused on one day, I'm going to be faithful today. If you woke up every single day and you were saying, I'm going to be faithful to Christ, I'm going to be the best husband or the best wife that I can be, I'm going to love my kids like there's no tomorrow... Imagine what your year would look like if you lived each day. Life is brief. Friends, we cannot afford to just spend our lives. We don't want to waste what God has given us. We have to invest our lives in what really matters, in Christ, in the things that are eternal. Now think of Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, a theologian and pastor in the 1700s, probably one of the greatest theological minds ever made by America. His life ended abruptly from a failed smallpox vaccination when he was 54, but he lived a full life. His life was inspiring, has inspired thousands of people. But in his early 20s, he wrote down, 22 resolutions for his life. I'm not going to read all 22. But his resolutions were impacting because at 20, he wanted 
to make sure that he didn't waste his life. Listen to what he says. Resolution number five. He says, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolution six, resolve to live with all of my might while I do live. Resolution 17, resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. No regrets. God reveals his will for you in his word. And yet so often we ignore it. In the Bible, God gives us precepts for life, principles for life, promises that can guide us in every area of life. Knowing and obeying the word of God is the surest way not to waste your life. Life is complex. But our purpose is simple. Life is uncertain, but God is always faithful. Life is brief, but the promises of God are eternal. Finally, look the last. Life is frail. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The NIV says it like this. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. Our boasting usually is a cover-up. You've known the big bully. You maybe have been the big bully. Is it because the bully is so confident in, in himself that he feels like he needs to pick on other people? No. Normally the case is he's the most insecure person in the room. When we're overly critical of other people, it's because we're really insecure about ourselves. When we're harsh, when we're mean, it's because we're not sure about who we are and we're insecure. And it's the same way when we arrogantly boast that we are the ones in charge of our life. It's covering up this weak spot in our own lives. We know it's not us that controls the destiny of our lives. It's not us that knows tomorrow. It's not us that can, that can provide a roadmap through life. Only God can do this. Thomas Akempis said, man proposes, but God disposes. We can come up with all kinds of lofty plans and dreams, but it's God who puts things into reality. We cannot control future events. We don't have the wisdom to see the future or the power to, to control what happens in the future. So to boast in ourselves and to rely upon our own independence, James says, that is sinful boasting. For us to boast in ourselves is sin because it makes us out to be God when we are not. Friends, how foolish it is to ignore God. It's like going through a dark jungle without a map or over a stormy sea without a compass. We cannot do the things that we think we can do. I remember earlier this year, we, we went down to Mammoth Cave. And when we were in the cave, we came upon this rock. They called it pul Pulpit Rock. And the guy gets up and he begins to talk to us. And he tells us that uh, he's going to turn the lights out. So he's going to give a little sermon, I guess. And he says, whatever you do, don't walk around. Don't move. Because it's going to be really dark here in a second. He turns the lights out, and it's completely pitch black. I raised my hand up like this. I could not see my hand until it touched my nose. 
black as black could be. You can see anything. And if we hadn't listened to him, we would have fallen. We would have gotten hurt. Friends, it's the same with God. Life, oftentimes the complexities of life, they look so black, so dark, so mysterious. And we cannot do these things on our own. We must trust ourselves to God. We are weak. But oftentimes we, we want to be strong. Our lives are frail like like a glass dish that's dropped on the floor, shattering into a million pieces. So easy is it that our lives can be shattered. Everything is frail. Notice what James says in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now at first glance, that may seem a little bit odd to you. But I want you to think what he's just said. What is the right thing? What is the right thing? It's dependence upon God. That's the right thing. Submission to God's will and God's plan. What is the wrong thing? Trying to do whatever you want to do. Trying to be independent from God. Trying to form your own plan. Disregarding God's will. But friends, life is complex. It's too complex to think that we can do all of this stuff on our own. Life is uncertain, and there is only one place that we can turn for confidence. It's God. Life is so brief, it vanishes like the smoke from a candle that's been blown out. It's gone like that. But God promises us eternal life. Life is frail, and it's broken so easily, but God alone can heal and guide you. Let's close with the words from Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. God, we pray this morning that we would be a people who are always mindful of your presence. That we would not attempt to do life on our own. That we would recognize that it is complex, that it is difficult, that it is uncertain. Lord, that we are frail people and that life itself is brief. It is but a wisp of smoke. Lord, help us as we look at our lives and We look at our lives in the spectrum, the lives of brothers and sisters around the world who are struggling to stay alive, to keep their children safe. Lord, that we would see them, that we would pray for them, but Lord, that we would seek to emulate the way that they see your sovereign hand working in their life. God, if there is ones here this morning who are not following after Christ. I pray this morning that they would see Christ for the very first time. That the knowledge that Christ died on a cross for their sins gave his life up so that they could have life and have forgiveness of their sins. Lord, I pray that you would grant them repentance and faith to turn to you. 
to trust in you. I pray that you would save them. God, for those who are struggling with various issues, struggling with marriages or relationships at work or boyfriend-girlfriend problems or immorality, God, I pray that you would convict and empower them to live faithfully to you, that they would turn away from sin and trust instead in your sovereign will and the gospel. God, for those who are struggling because they've lost friends, they've lost family members, because it seems like the years have gone by and they're just waiting to die. Father, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that your spirit would show them that they are not here by accident, but that you have called them for this very hour and this very time. You have given them a purpose. You've given them a reason to be here. I pray that you would show that to them through the gospel. God, help all of us to entrust ourselves to your sovereign hand. We pray in Jesus' name.